to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Anders Lee, let me tell you about here something. first of all. Uh, right, sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to interrupt your ritual catchphrase. Anders Lee um, here. Okay, so I did a tour podcast with Mishka last week, um, and it was cool and uh, you know thoughtful, and we talked about Baudrillard and shit. That was all fine and good, but we skipped one important detail. That must be reported on to the PDA audience, which is that in Memphis, I went to this thing called the Bass Pro Shop Pyramid. Uh, you might have seen it memed because it's mm-hmm. weird, and so it's a good meme. But basically, in the middle of downtown Memphis, there's this huge fucking pyramid, uh, and it's also a it has a Bass Pro Shop sign on it. And uh, I, it's hard to really f- understand what which one came first. Like if they were going to build a Bass Pro Shop, and then they're like, "Well, let's make it a pyramid." But apparently, it was a pyramid. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but I, I've seen it memed all over the internet because it's very odd. Because it's apparently like the eighth largest pyramid in the world. Wow! Is this grotesque? thing in memphis you know which is like very funny and weird and sad um but i am sorry to report that i went in it and it kicks fucking ass dude yeah it's so good it's like um it's like an amusement park but specifically for like racist scary woodland people (laughs) so there's roller coasters and stuff there's not a roller coaster it's just short of a roller coaster but there's everything else you go in and there's like obviously it's a bass pro shop so there's like black rifle fucking what is that company coffee yeah i think it's just yeah right okay i got confused reimagining this in my head because I remember there was a big rack of black rifle stuff and I was like well they sell guns here so is this actually a gun company no it's a coffee company named after a gun is it supposed to be that the coffee is as black as a rifle as like a an M16 and as deadly okay and as uh, drink that virtuous I guess you know, because guns are uh, protect. You can protect your family with black rifle coffee. I almost went to one once because I wanted some decaf to put in kratom in <laughs> black rifle decaf. Yeah, That's and I I was like halfway through the line. I was like, they're gonna like smite me. They're gonna like you know slap me in the face if I ask for decaf here. So I better <laughs> find something else. That's you just ask for blanks. <laughs> <laughs> And then they're like, you could still kill somebody with these. Uh, Do you have any pink cups? <laughs> yeah. Just go in with like a blue hair haircut <laughs> and stuff and be like, 
can I have they them coffee? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're like, no, no, this is exactly the opposite of what we were going for. But um, so they, you go in and then there's like shit like that everywhere. But then you keep walking and there's like some some interesting like different stuff that's you wouldn't just get in a normal Bass Pro Shop like an entire, you know those things where you there's like a you have a little gun a little rifle and it's like a laser and if you shoot the little targets mm-hmm. in the little scenery thing like a little gopher pops up and goes whoa or mm-hmm. whatever like the rocking chair rocks it's a big ass one of those that was pretty cool um and then just like miles and miles and miles of bass pro shop shit but then also like like these ponds like there's just the whole floor is made of like these ponds that you look down and there's just like alligators and shit in them I, oh, ponds. Ponds, okay. yeah. Not like chess pieces. Man-made ponds. There were ponds in, there in, were, in other sense <laughs> in the game of politics. That's right. Milling about. <laughs> uh, but there were like alligators and shit. And then there were just like, I was in the middle of Memphis. So like I took my phone at one point. And I pretend like I was filming an alligator, and I was filming it, but I was actually filming the accent of the person next to me just going like, dang, why are them gators going to fight each other? Because <laughs> it was so fucking They were cool. live live gators. Yeah, and like, it's insane. It's like a fucking museum. Like, it's a, a legit aquarium. There's these Man. huge fucking tanks and like huge just ancient looking fish and stuff there's a full gun range a full other um range for crossbows there's a Wahlburgers in it an entire Mark Wahlberg brothers restaurant with a bowling alley in the back of it and a separate bar and then like it's just it's crazy you just keep exploring it and then there's just more shit it's this insane, you know, grotesque figure of uh, capitalist excess or whatever, you know. But, like... Why do they have it there? So, here's the thing, right? <laughs> I was... Legit, if you're ever in Memphis, you have to go see this shit. It's free to just go in. Your mind feels like it's on acid when you're walking around because it's just so overloaded with, like... Like, fucking, there's, like, another level you go up and there's, like, a museum... And the museum just there's you know there's part of it where it just shows you all these old rifles and stuff. And you go, oh, interesting. Oh, that's what a Winchester looked like a hundred years ago. There's another entire wing of the museum that's just about duck decoys, and hmm. you just learn about those fake ducks and shit. And then they're just everywhere. There's just these weird ducks, wooden ducks, just like everywhere, staring at you with their little glass eyes and shit. And just when it all is just too much, and you can't make any sense of it, and you're like, how many? crust punk pants do as a man need you know because that's where they all get those like you know the, the hunting crust punk guys with the green uh-huh. and the brown shit that's where they all get that shit um there's this thing where you can take an elevator up to the top of the pyramid and there's like a restaurant and shit up there and then like an observation deck so you can look out all over memphis but uh <laughs> when you get in the elevator it like this disembodied voice just appears and it's just like, oh, hello there. I bet you're wondering why there's a Bass Pro Shop in the pyramid. Oh. Well, I'm, you know, whoever the fuck the guy's name is, and I'm the founder of Bass Pro Shop. Now, here's the story. And he just tells this weird ass hillbilly tale that's just like, one day me and whatever guy was fishing. And I said, <laughs> I'm, 
I bet you can't shoot a deer square between the fucking eyes. And if you can, I'm going to put a Bass Pro Shop in the pyramid. It's in the <laughs> middle of town. And wouldn't you know, he cracked that fucking skull wide open. And it's just like this weird tale. But it never explains why there was a pyramid in the middle of Memphis. Okay. So you're like, okay, I guess it got started because of this bet between these two shitty old men. Uh, and his voice is just telling you it. And then like you get to the top and then the doors open. It's like, well... That's the story. See you later. <laughs> but it like it's even more confusing because you're not. You're like, but why is there a pyramid? <laughs> I have a couple theories on this. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay, one is I over the summer had you know got in a UFO kick, and there is a story. This was in Louisiana, I believe. But uh, if you're if you know a UFO, not that far, Louisiana, Tennessee. Um, uh-huh. there were these two guys fishing and they were a, a pyramid shaped <laughs> ship came and yeah. sucked them up and probed them. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's real. This is basically evidence. You know, it's real because they were, uh, they went to the authorities. They didn't know what to do. There's like two guys from Louisiana. So they're like, let's tell the police. And, um, the cops interrogated them about it. And without telling them the cop left a, uh, tape recorder in the room expecting them to be like oh we're really pulling a fast one on this guy yeah and they didn't they 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 were like that this was crazy what what the hell happened we still don't know uh so that means that means it's absolutely true <laughs> um and that it, the pyramid probably flo- floated to memphis my other theory oh i see yeah. is that uh because i feel like i have heard certain things about memphis and egyptian stuff oh yeah so as you were talking about this i googled and it turns out there was a city in ancient egypt called memphis right that's what that is yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what that is um that's weird though it was memphis tennessee named after that that's a great question um but i will before i i google that i'm on the wikipedia page memphis Egypt was believed to be under the protection of the god Ptah, <laughs> the patron of craftsmen. Ptah spelled P T A H. So very close. So from Peter from Family Guy. Ah, <laughs> Peter. Yeah. Please protect Memphis for me, Peter. <laughs> Giggity, g- okay. So what what else was so did you see any other egyptian shit in memphis no there's just this giant pyramid in the middle of the city that okay. i was like did i have like berenstein bear brain about like i'm like what wouldn't it pe- wouldn't we all have been talking about this all the time if uh if, it, like why is this the first time i'm remembering this i think you're onto something with the a- alien yeah. spaceship and okay. then it like because it sucked up rednecks, it's like attracting them, uh-huh. like that they're trying to make some sort of like, like zombie pilgrimage to it to all worship it, and then like lasers shoot out the fucking top of the restaurant, and it like <laughs> connects back to its home planet via the connection, a, a connection braid of the souls of hundreds of good old boys and fishermen and shit that it linked together via the mecca. Hmm. Um, also, when I was in there, I was like, uh, I realized I was wearing my Comet Ping Pong Pizza t-shirt. Nice. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing <laughs> here? I'm in the Death Star for these people. Did anybody no. make eyes at you? No. I was zipped my hoodie up, though, because I started to feel weird. Uh. <laughs> so apparently, um, it was founded 
by three guys, one of them Andrew Jackson, Memphis, Tennessee, and Andrew it was Jackson. Yeah. Okay. Even weirder. And it was named after the Egyptian city because that city was on a river called the Nile, and this city is also on a river, like a lot of cities. Every city is on a river. That's yeah. insane. So there must be some other ulterior motive for the name that will. We'll never know. There's deep hidden away in the under the Smithsonian or something. Dude, the guy in the twenty dollar bills involved. This yeah. definitely goes all the way back to whatever the fuck Illuminati shit he was up to. Um. Anyway, hello everyone. Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm back in town. Alex is somewhere else. It's Jake Anders episode. Jake Flores here. Ha ha! I stole your punch. Damn it! Get, Fuck Janders. <laughs> Chanders, J J Lee, J twenty Lee. Um, it's also my birthday, or it was yesterday. So, uh, do you ever go by J twenty? I should. That yeah. should be my rap name, dude. Yeah, J twenty, because it is my birthday, but it's also J's my initial. Mm-hmm. That works, dude. And I'm twenty years old, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> Just heard. Can't wait to drink alcohol next year. I'm pretty good at coming up with these. Uh, the other day, I thought of. Um if it's like a comedic rapper, Wim Z. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> Wim Z. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> oh, man. That's like, that's that's so lame. I'm sorry. That's like a poet would name himself that. I feel like the, the poetry community would give that person harsher vibes than <laughs> hip hop. Yeah, but for different reasons. They'd be like, you think you embody whimsy? One man cannot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I was just in a car ride yesterday, and we had like a four-hour discussion about the meaning of whimsy. <laughs> what? And it was like a debate. Like, we're talking about, does so-and-so comedian have whimsy? And is their act whimsical? Uh-huh. And it's hard to pin down. You know, like everything is if you dissect it. But like, what is whimsy? Does it, uh, is it, um, I kind of landed on it's in comedy. It's just a shorthand for anybody who doesn't do traditional, like set up punchline jokes. I thought that you were kind of freewheeling. Yeah. There's also that, but there are freewheeling comics who are not, I don't know, whimsical. I feel like, although like, like free, well, yeah, like unconventional kind of. Yeah. But like because you're feeling so good. This is a really weird word. I've never thought this hard about. Also, the word whimsical reminds me of the word icicle. So I always think about like. Oh, you know, I want a, whim- a whimsical. I want to stab someone with a whimsical and then <laughs> laugh. Yeah. Perfect crime. That is, come to think of it, getting stabbed with an icicle is a whimsical way to die. True. It's kind of funny. Yeah. You're like, oh, did I get just get murdered by a polar bear? <laughs> this is delightful. I'm in a winter wonderland. Please call the police. I wonder if there's been a murder, because there's this place in Virginia I used to go as a kid where there's stalactites and stalagmites. You ever go to one of these caverns? <laughs> what, do you ever go to one of these places with stalactites and stalagmites? Yeah. You mean a cavern? Yeah, a cavern. Yeah, I went to Natural Bridge Caverns in uh, Carlsbad. Where the f- oh, uh... Where- I've been there. Carlsbad Canyon in... Is that in New Mexico? It's like in the Southwest somewhere. I went there when I was a kid one time. I, I think I've been there too, actually. Uh, it was cool. The, oh, I was there for the bats. That was awesome. The, you sit there in like this arena 
but it's like it's like an Egyptian arena. <laughs> like they yeah, they dude, make it's it all coming back around. Yeah, the, it's a very simple sort of layout. You know, it's just like rows. Andrew uh, Jackson is there. Like, <laughs> Release the bats. Yeah, basically, I've never died. And on all these bats, just yeah, it's awesome. Um, we had that in Austin. There's just a bridge downtown that if you stand on top of when the sun goes down, certain times of the year, hundreds of thousands of bats just fucking fly out. It looks like the end of a Batman movie. It's fucking cool. Wow. I wonder if they use that for movies, film anything there. But should. but in uh, one of these caverns, like I wonder if a murder has ever taken place. It, oh, like, on like someone like used a, a stalactite. Yeah, or like oh, the stalagmite is the one that is on the bottom. I remember this because it's like they're a muscle and they're like flexing, like going up. What the and the stalactite is staying tight to the ceiling. What the tour guide told me was stalactites. One of them has a C. One of them has a G. But stalactites are hanging tight to the ceiling. Yeah. Stalagmites might make it to the ceiling one day. No, oh, that's that's, that's fucking lame. But to your point, killing someone on the bottom ones, the slagmites, that's fine. What, what would be really <laughs> cool is you fucking impale someone on a stalactite so they're hanging like up oh, in the yeah. ceiling. Through the chest? Yeah. They're like, the blood's dripping down and shit. Come to think of it, if the ceiling is low enough... You could definitely just quickly, when no one's looking, just like take their head and that's onto, true. onto the Titan. It would look like an accident. We should write an A24 horror film that takes place <laughs> in natural bridge caverns. <laughs> yeah. You know, a simple, a young group of whimsical mm-hmm. 20-somethings thought they were going to go see the little dinosaur that's on the sign that lives down there in Carlsbad Caverns, and little did they know, a bloodbath was afoot. But also, it's artistic with good cameras and stuff. Yeah. One million dollars, please. Dun, dun. Uh, I, this, man, this is all going for, full circle, because another thing we're talking about, I was in uh, D.C. with some pals, former redacted correspondents uh, for a Julian Assange benefit and um, we were talking as we were leaving because it was at the, it's at this place in D.C. called the Tabard Inn um, that they say is haunted. It's like this really old building and has these old portraits of like, you know, w- w- just a bunch of weird old paintings. Like they have like the typical D.C. sort of like colonial era, like this was George Washington. But they also have like the, what's that guy, the Spaniard who paints like fat people? You know what I'm talking uh, about? I think he's a Spaniard. I don't know. But it's just like a weird, <laughs> creepy old building, and the beds are always squeaky. So it would be a perfect place for like a murder mystery. Yeah. Um, after the Assange benefit. That's the sequel to the Carlsbad Caverns movie. Yeah. We're going to make a million dollars. Um, I should mention, too, I had a a lifetime goal was accomplished uh, I guess two days ago, I met the the absolute boy, Jezza, Jeremy Corbyn. I uh, saw that on Facebook, which is the oddest thing, because Facebook is mostly just blob people. Uh-huh. And then I was scrolling, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why are you with a person from the real world? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, guys, you guys look good together. Thank you. Yeah. He looks like an old you. Ooh, I take that as a compliment. You know, he has sons. Um, 
One of them is blonde. So yeah. I could be perhaps his son, although I don't think so. Irish, he's English. But well, you also know your parents. Yeah, Unless and they look like me. This is like a Harry Potter-esque situation. <laughs> <laughs> you could, you'd be, you'd be, one day, well into your adult life, when you're like 35, an owl is going to come and tell you, you're actually supposed to go hang out in England with Jeremy Corbyn. Uh-huh. You're a wizard, but not really. You're just... <laughs> A guy. Yeah, it is a very weird because DC, in a way, is kind of like a small town. At a certain point, um, I lived there for three years as an adult, but I was born there, and my parents lived there in the eighties, um, which is a fascinating time in DC's history. I've always said, but there was a guy there who came up to me and was like, "I think I know your dad," uh, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah," he's like, "Yeah, you're Blumenthal's son, right?" He thought I was Max Blumenthal. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do kind of look like, but then we were talking some more. And I was like, you know what? You might like my dad. Oh, I thought he meant you're Max Blumenthal's son. <laughs> oh, well- <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, I get it. Technically, pot. Well, I don't know if that's technically possible, but probably not. Uh, the the he it turned out. So I mentioned my dad um, was a friend of the late journalist Bob Perry who helped break open Iran-Contra and was, like, fucking um, really uh, suppressed by the AP who we worked for. And people talk about, like, oh, it's not like, you know, there's someone sitting in some room with a cigar telling you what stories can and can't run in mainstream media. But literally, a guy at a party smoking a cigar was like, don't touch this Iran-Contra business. I don't want to hear any of this from you. Yeah, And they, like eventually had to publish him um, because, and this goes to the CIA cocaine thing, he uncovered that the CIA knew about and saw cocaine coming in and out of Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and just wasn't doing anything. It was letting it happen so the Contras could get money. And he wanted to print this, and they were like, eh. And then the, a Spanish-language affiliate of the AP went, somehow got wind of it, and they printed it, and so then eventually they're like, yeah, fine. So they printed like one paragraph that admitted the CIA knew about cocaine trafficking. Yeah. And to this day, it's still like a disputed, you know, uh, claim. But anyway, he um, dated this woman who became his wife who lived with my dad. And uh, one day he ate my dad's um, muffins. Yes. And my dad was very upset. The plums that were in the icebox. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he was mad about it, but Bob Perry uh, went home and baked the whole strawberry shortcake and gave it to, to my old man. And after that, they were friends. And so I said this to like, yeah, my dad knew Bob Perry. He's like, wait, who's your dad? And then it turns out he actually knew my dad, too. That's weird, man. It's weird how small of a world it really is. It, yeah. And it, I think about this a lot. I mean, you've had a real career in like politics and media to some extent but like to a small very tiny extent yeah right but i'm one degree away from you Uh, and it's weird to think like how few degrees there are between me and jeremy corbin now that's one yeah that shouldn't be a thing but (laughs) this world that we're in is very small right it's a small left yeah yeah um and so there's just these old guys hanging around i mean it's almost like being like in like you know a, a, a subculture like punk music or something. Mm-hmm. If you hang around long enough, some guys are like I was roommates with Ian Mackay, right? But this in this case, it's 
I was I know your dad. <laughs> I was around back then. Yeah. We fucked with the Rand Contra. <laughs> Weird, man. Yeah, and my dad is not even a news journalist. He was like worked with classical music stuff. Um but I should say it was so cool to meet Jeremy Corbyn because he is just like you would think. Like he's the down to earth sweet old man who like is used to just going to left-wing political meetings. That's like how he has spent probably most of his adult life and probably <laughs> pre-adult life uh, is going to these things. And so he's used to just sit in the room full of, you know, often odd people who have, you know, interesting views. And that's gotten him into trouble before, but he is dedicated to the movement. So he sticks around and he comes to stuff and shows up for things like Julian Assange, which is an important case that uh, not enough people in his position in the United States uh, in Congress are speaking out on behalf of. Yeah. Um, but it was so cool to meet him. I asked him, as I was like, I got one chance to ask him something, I, and I, I regret not bringing up my idea for him to form a new party and call it the Labor Party, but take out the U, which is <laughs> something I've been championing for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's smart because people would accidentally vote for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I did ask him about Grenada, where I had read somewhere that he had visited during um, or after the. He the, was running cocaine. Yes. <laughs> 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 we delivered cocaine to the revolutionaries. It was quite good. Yeah. That's how they accomplished the Revo. Um, he called it the Revo, the revolution. And I asked him about it, and he's like, I was out there right after the Revo, and he told me the story about how... Revo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, British people are so weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they have like one or two like lines off. Like, Why can't they say anything just like us? Right. Like, we never land exactly on the same like, yeah. pronunciation or spelling of anything. It's always going to be one letter different. Right. I remember, shout out Eli Uden pointing out that when people say, like, he asked to... British woman at a stand-up show, like, when you go to the hospital and someone's in the hospital, what do you say? And she's like, in hospital. And he's like, that's just baby talk. <laughs> um, that's funny. Yeah, and they say, and they say uh, different to instead of different from. That's fucking weird. Which is, what? You know yeah. what they call a popsicle? Stalagmite? Slight tight fuck. Ice lolly. <laughs> Which, like, I know popsicle is also a stupid word. Wait, if you do really... they really? Yeah. Ice lolly? I also had a British audience member one time when I was doing stand-up and thoroughly investigated this. And yes, they said, yes, we call it an ice lolly. Oh, my God. Ice box? That's kind of... A, I kind of like ice box. It's an old school it is. thing. It, I think they might have us beat on that one. I think yeah. if you think about it really hard, refrigerator is actually an insane word. Icebox is way better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very scientific refrigerator. I mean, I, I don't know which I like better, bathroom or toilet, because toilet is very, you know, graphic. It pu puts the image straight in your mind of what you're you going there to do. think about the toilet. <laughs> yeah. But there's there's no, like, sort of plausible deniability. I mean, everybody knows that you're going to be doing something nasty in there. But when you say bathroom... There's restroom. No, you're not taking a bath in the bar. Bathroom. Right. Nobody thinks that. Yeah. You don't even have. And you know what? They can. They they have a couple things on us. There's no <laughs> baths in most bathrooms. There's not a lot of feet kicking balls in our football. Uh. So there there are some things on their side. The use though 
we are 100% correct on. Like, yeah. You don't need a U in color, labor. That does not go there, British people. Yeah. What the fuck were we talking about? Oh, Grenada. Okay. So he did, <laughs> he went to Grenada and he told me this story uh, about how, just like, matter of factly, like, um, that there were Cuban construction workers after the Revo, um, and he and they had all left and left behind uh, Shakespeare. They had been reading Shakespeare, and then eventually Fuck. American construction workers came after the invasion, and they were reading comic books. <laughs> <laughs> I think going to say the American construction workers like picked up the Shakespeare. And were like, hey, <laughs> you ever read this, Macbeth? <laughs> Maybe that'd be a sweet story. Thou dost protest too much, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, methinks or whatever the fuck. Um, no, that's funny. Yeah, that tracks, man. America number one, baby. Yeah, he does this thing where after he finishes saying something, he just breathes in like they were reading comic books. <laughs> that's it's weird. very sweet, but. They're just backwards, America. <laughs> they breathe out, they breathe in. I mean, yeah, that's how... A lot, oh, no, what? I've heard different things, but I've heard that the British accent has probably evolved over time as well. But they, in Shakespeare's day, and don't at me if this is <laughs> incorrect, but one thing I've heard is that if you went to a Shakespeare play in like the 17th century, or right, 1600s, um, that uh, they w- had what we would today call American Southern accents. I was literally just in like Arkansas uh-huh. talking to somebody about this. Oh, really? I al- they I also could be wrong. We could be both just like passing the same factoid around. But uh, I was watching like, whew, man, I was watching. All right, so like you're on tour, like uh-huh. you know, uh, especially if you're the opening act, you hang out. With the person who threw the show, who's letting you crash on the couch after the show for until five in the morning sometimes, because they're up partying. Because uh, as uh, as Sam Talent put it in his book, the apt quote here to describe what it's like to be on tour is what M. Bison says in the movie Street Fighter: "The day M. Bison came to your village." For you, it was the greatest day of your life. For me, it was just a Tuesday. Mm. That's the distortion that's happening, right? So, I for me, it was just a Tuesday. For a lot of these people I was hanging out with, it was the greatest day of their life. The day M. Bison came to their village, and they wanted to fucking watch uh, lots of weird YouTube videos and show me things. And I stayed up all night with one of the comics <laughs> in one of the towns we were in, watching this fucking vid- YouTube video series. is really disturbing called Soft White Underbelly. Where I got one of those. Yeah, you do. <laughs> You'll be featured. Um, but they, uh, this, this like, uh, kind of Diane Arbacy, like, photographer, documentarian went and just hung out with, like, a bunch of inbred Appalachian people. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could just watch it for hours and have your mind come apart. It's really disturbing. But um, that for some reason, that got us on that topic. And we were talking about how the, the accent the specific isolated like Appalachian one that's like different even from other dialects of the South. People say that as actually the preserved British accent mm. from like way, way back. So like, yeah. yeah, Shakespeare would have been like, 
Methinks thou dost protest too much or whatever the fuck. That's probably not even I didn't even do it right. It is kind of like a genteel like, you know, Southern Belle like that like transatlantic thing. Well, I, I'm no like a, you know, like a Southern aristocracy like I'll do declare. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Foghorn Leghorn. Right. I'm just a simple country lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's like, you can hear the elements in both there. I think it's right. maybe like sort of a, a... Yeah, they're kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I tweeted this, but like, you would think that Andrew Tate would have one of those accents because he grew up half British, half American. But it's just like the like the inverse of that. It's like both things, but in like really weird ways. That just sound like he has brain damage. Yeah. Well, he's probably got a different American, like, dialect fucking all that shit up. Yeah. Like, he'll say a sentence almost entirely, entirely normal. Like, I sent someone out to go get boxes. Like, but boxes is, like, the thing that comes through British, but everything else, it's so bizarre. Like, someone hit him on the head with a, a fucking bench press at some point yeah and then look what happened look what he turned out to be like being british is not okay <laughs> it is a problem and people need to fix it if yeah afflicted with it you know what my so this is another thing that is i can i feel like we've confirmed the southern accent theory but <laughs> this is both uh, believe it, yeah. yeah almost definitely not true but is a thing that my mom used to tell me that there's an island off the coast of delaware called she called it fenwick island i looked into this fenwick island is I think technically Maryland, but maybe there's something there. But she claims that there's this island uh, in the mid-Atlantic where people still speak with old English. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Which, like, I think maybe she went there in the 70s and there was just, like, some old guy, like, sailor who was drunk and maybe doing a weird voice. And she thought everyone there talked like that. But uh, I really hope that's true. It would be awesome. That would be so cool. Yeah. That's kind of um, also the same thing that Appalachian British theory. I've heard the same thing said about like uh, the Boston accent. Mm. Why people from Boston specifically sound like that is that's like for whatever reason that I'm too dumb to explain uh, linguistically or whatever that that became an isolated thing where it preserved part of the actual original like American or whatever the fuck British accent. Hmm. So, like, you also could imagine all of Shakespeare sounding like Bill Burr. Yeah. I mean, it would just be... It's so funny, because there's no audio from back then, so we just have to, like, kind of guess at what this shit was. Yeah. Or if Shakespeare was really real. One guy. What's another Shakespeare? Now my brain is stuck on... They didn't have female... uh, (laughs) No, no, no. We got in trouble for this last time, remember? What did I say? We said they didn't have women or children or some shit in plays back then and people yelled us in the discord no this is i mean i i said this i think that was about rome and at a certain point in rome there was the theater was just like killing people and having sex publicly and i said ancient rome and really that was like christian era like post-ancient rome Uh um but i i know for a fact that the little boys thing in shakespeare is real um, Either way, controversy they, is good for the podcast. So yeah, absolutely. Just keep saying this shit. Just, just make like, up stuff about Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare. That, people make a living doing that. <laughs> There's so many books that are like Shakespeare was actually the queen. Okay, is Bill Burr in um, in uh, which uh, fucking Hamlet? So he's like, he would be like, 
Horatio. I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> there's more. <laughs> to me, not to me. That's a fucking question. As if he's holding a skull. I can't do it, man. This is too difficult of a, a formula. But they did. This this I know to be true. They did not have women performing, so the female roles were played by little boys with like grown men. That's right, brother. <laughs> that would... Th- th- oh, man. Just imagine like being transported back into time and watching like vintage Shakespeare at the Globe and it's like a... <laughs> Juliet is an eight-year-old boy with a southern accent. I bet some of those people in that audience loved that yeah (laughs) like that's the thing today it it would look like that's like a bad community theater production that's like an accident if that happens but that's actually the way they did it and i think there are some at some point there were shakespeare companies who would try to like maintain the integrity of the original and try to do it that way yeah but it just got too ridiculous at a certain point no we're doing this for tradition and not because don't ask about that (laughs) Uh oh, but this Jeremy Corbyn, I he was there the next morning because he's in D.C. Um, and he was staying at the Tavern Inn, I think. So I stayed in the same building as Jezza. Uh, but he was there for the Belmarsh Tribunal. Um, and he met with Bernie. Um, they had a good discussion apparently. So right now, Corbyn has been stripped of, um labor his labor party designation so i think he's technically an independent mp um and um the guy who's in charge keir starmer has reversed like every good thing corbin did uh it's a real tragedy because because he ran in 2019 2020 after a pretty devastating election he ran saying, like, well, I'm going to keep all of Corbin's ideas, but I'm just going to make it more accessible and electable. And uh, he completely has uh, just become Tory light. Um, like, there's, and the really maddening thing of it is, uh, is that they're way ahead in the polls right now, Labor, UK Labor, just based on what the Conservative Party has done, because they've, they've had a shit show. They had uh, Liz Truss in there for a very short period of time, and she shat the bed. Uh, and the Conservatives have been in charge since 2010. Um, but, you know, because of uh, a lot of factors, uh, not least of which was like a massive, massive media delegitimization campaign against the left and Corbyn, um, now they don't the they don't care that much about labor or scrutinizing labor now then Keir Starmer is beloved by mainstream media in the UK which is in some ways worse than the United States uh in terms of concentration and just like the echo chamber yeah it's like one group of people over there yeah That's i mean they have the bbc which is technically public but the way it's run is has wound up being pretty undemocratic um but he was talking to, oh yeah, and so apparently now there's like a massive uh, strike movement happening with the the rail system in the UK, and it's it's very exciting. But the Labour Party has banned front bench MPs from going to picket lines, and he was they were talking in the meeting with Bernie, and Bernie was like, "And they still call them the Labour Party?" That's right. How can you say that? It's because they put that U in there. Right. <laughs> asterisk yeah it's ridiculous but uh 
there was one, I wasn't there for this, but Jonathan O'Donnell, who's on the trip with us, told me this really just sort of beautiful but also tragic thing, um, this exchange he had with Corbin, where he went up to him and he was like, hey, I just want to thank you for all the work you've done, um, you know, as labor leader and everything you do over there. And Jeremy Corbin said, it's kind of like taking a plow into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Like you, you open up a little bit of space and then it gets filled up again. Yeah, that's like um, that's kind of poetic. That's also very similar to something like like uh, you'd hear in the South. That like poetic hick, like it's like trying to lawn mow the ocean, man. Yeah, um, it's like trying to get a raccoon out of your fucking carburetor, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's cool. So are you friends with him now? I hope so. I didn't tell him my name, but <laughs> that um, not mistake. that he would remember. Um, what he, was, he hears about it later, and he's like, "That was Anders Lee." <laughs> oh my god, I should have got his autograph. Yeah. I mean, genuinely, like uh, ballsy move, and you know, somewhat unwise, but it's like very admirable that he didn't give a shit to like come hang out and like support Assange with, you know, people who are, you know, former Russian assets and shit, you know, like he just doesn't care. He's, he's in it for all the right reasons, which, you know, this, this world is not easy for the, the pure of heart, uh, in politics, especially. So, yeah. I feel like Assange is one of those things that's gotten like super politicized because it's been around for so long. So like now, it's you know the the media's definitely made it to where if you support him then liberal brainless people are gonna be like no he did a thing he's bad and uh you know but if you can get out of that forest mentally yeah it's still very important that you not get like you know uh whatever the fuck thrown in prison or executed or whatever right it is a total free speech issue yeah they will talk about everything except the actual case and the fact that somebody is going to be prosecuted who wasn't even an american citizen or in the united states yeah for journalism like that's going to set a terrible precedent could make it an actual crime to just publish government documents which is like <laughs> something we've yeah and it's like you know then you're like oh putin is authoritarian well what the fuck you know mm-hmm. you don't seem to have a problem with extremely scary authoritarian shit happening here yeah but this is a podcast this is a left podcast i could sit here and point out inconsistencies and hypocrisies about liberals all day and we probably make a bazillion dollars but it's boring we all, we all know. Yeah, at a certain point, it's, you know, what more can you say? Um, yeah. But well, I... Can you say any more about your trip to... Uh, <laughs> I know there's plenty you can't say. Uh, I saw the Illuminati and shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was... The uh, left Illuminati. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, put on by Randy Credico, um, and it was actually in honor of Fritzy Cohen who is the sort of matriarch, if you will, of the Tabardin and unfortunately passed away recently, which is very sad. Um, Pour one out. Yeah. But a very sweet woman who um, 
like ran this business in the heart of D.C. where all these fucking, you know, diplomats and uh, they're coming for us. That's right. That's the joke you're supposed to make when they... Your rides here. <laughs> it happens twice a podcast. Every podcast never stops being funny. Right. That's the other one is uh, when you have technical difficulties, blame the oh, deep shit. State. It's the feds. Yeah. They're stopping us from podcasting. Right. I've tried to think Everyone of an alternative joke to that, but uh, we'll get one the next time it happens. Thankfully, we've... I haven't had live issues yet. It's the shreds. It's Super Shredder from Ninja Turtles. Remember how he used to, they like, they would be watching TV in their living room and uh-huh. then he would show up on the TV? <laughs> that was a pretty cool move. Would And that, uh, he would, like, hijack a cable station? Yeah, I'm not was, sure was how Was it, that like, worked. a feed directly into only their TV? I'm not sure if it was just them or if it was, like, I've taken over the whole thing and yeah. uh, I want to talk to you specifically or something. I don't remember because it's been a very long time. All right. Um, I wonder if that's actually ever happened in real life. Somebody... Well, Max Headroom. Right. That was kind of that. Yeah. That was. Um, but like... A threat... But but it happening under threat. Like, someone was like, I will kill this person unless you put me on TV right now. I don't know. That happens in movies all right. the time. Yeah. But uh, I think Max Headroom is like the... That was what was so weird about that. It was mm-hmm. like, oh my god, someone's actually doing it. Yeah, I mean, he was able to hack the the thing, but like, if somebody had like a gun, I mean, the closest thing is honestly the Unabomber because he had like the Washington Post and a few other major newspapers print his manifesto. Yeah, uh, which was a really bad move on his part because. <laughs> Anybody who knew him was like, oh, yeah, that's Ted. Right, because that's how they caught him. Right. The, the dial idiolect. The, yes. The, uh, the manhunter. You've been watching your manhunter. I watched that Man shit. Hunt. The guy t- he talked about idiolect. Right. He said, uh, oh, he says to have your cake and also eat it, which is not how normal people say that. Mm-hmm. Most people say eat it, too. And there's one man in America that says it like that. Bam, you're in jail. Right? That's why you can't do that. And they had the oh that's and they had the whole thing about how they call it Wooder in Philly. Yeah, how Shakespeare said. Oh my it God, as well. the, the fucking Ted Kaczynski is Trump. <laughs> the Unabomber is, um, what's his name? Fuck, I, I boofed it. I was trying to think of another example of a guy who talks like that, and I can picture him in my head, and I can't see it. Someone with a Philly accent. Yeah, it's gone. Okay, Wooder. Rocky Wooder Wooder. It's Rocky. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, Fritzy Cohen was a... She owned this business in uh, like DuPont Circle. So, And it's still a place where big wigs will come and have some chow or stay for a night. Um, but she was unabashedly left-wing in her politics and was, until her dying day, um, a peace activist and an advocate for Assange. Um, and one of the things I know she was very concerned about was nuclear war and nuclear issues, which used to be a major movement in this country in uh, the the 80s. That was like, um, you know, we forget about that because, you know, remember the cold that was the Cold War was still pretty scary at that point. That was kind of like the last gas, but it got very intense there. Well, don't worry. It's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> it would have been such a perfect... I kind of want to go back and see 
in the 90s, like what the justifications were for Cole. I mean, Saddam, but he didn't even have nukes yet. Yeah. Like, what was the justification at that point for ha- for still having nuclear weapons and not like pursuing detente? Um, it would have been like the perfect time. Um, I honestly wonder if aliens did not come up. <laughs> if they were like, we need these things. Dude, that, you know where the nukes are stored? In the pyramid in Ooh. Memphis. They shoot out the fucking top of it. It makes perfect sense. That would not shock me at all. Um, but I, I read this really good article in In These Times by Frida Berrigan, who I believe is the daughter of Daniel, who was a 60s uh, peace activist. And, you know, she's very concerned about what's happening in in the Ukraine right now because... Um, it's just Ukraine. Thank you. <laughs> what do they say in the, in the UK? In UK. Anarchy in the Ukraine. <laughs> um, yeah, do they say UK or... Or they probably just say here. Yeah. I don't know. Well, about about Ukraine. What do British people call it? Are they the Ukraine? They add an they add they two add an U's. Other, they add an O into it. <laughs> the Ukraine. It's U U Crane. Yeah. Um Ukraine. But speaking of U U, Unitarian Universalists are very also involved in anti nuclear uh activism. Um and yeah, I mean it's not it's not looking good. I mean, you could argue that we're still a long way away from a nuclear exchange because the U.S. does not have ground forces at this point. Uh, probably won't. But it is still, to my mind, way too close for comfort. Um, and people are preparing mentally for just the prospect of a nuclear exchange and you know who's going to nuke who first. That's... Uh, that's the question. Uh, and it, I mean, it must have been an interesting time sort of psychologically to grow up in the nuclear era. I mean, that's when the term where the term nuclear family comes from, I guess, is you have this new. I don't I don't think that's actually true. It's not related to nuclear war. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, I just associated well, it with the 1950s, which is like this is the the paradigm has shifted and you have this thing in the back of everyone's mind that we have these things we didn't have 20 years ago that will just like destroy everyone i'm gonna have to look this up and then we can uh bet on it or something but i think the nuclear family refers to like a nucleus like the patriarch at the center and you know uh it's so- i whenever i heard the term nuclear family i always imagined it as a family of dr manhattans in my head like oh cool they're nuclear but yeah. then i started reading like you know origin of the family shit i was like right. oh this is obviously just about the way that it's organized i mean that yeah that makes that makes the most sense and i think you are correct uh but it's just it's interesting i mean language is so interesting because we have associations with it yeah the and- british people actually call it the nuclear family <laughs> with a bunch of extra vowels and shit in there <laughs> nuclear families i actually think that's a good way to say it i think honestly we all made fun of uh w for that but like one in ten people was like ha ha yeah of course you don't say it like that and it's actually one of those things that is dialectic uh like not it's a dialect thing like a lot of people in america actually say it like that and enough people say it like that that means that's just a way of saying it Mm -hmm. like um 
crayon or uh, crown or crown. Or I know people who say crown. Plug, crayon is, I think, correct. But there's a lot of crayon people in this world, and there's so many of them. I guess it's I say crayon. It's an alternate thing, and then crown people. I got my eye on you. I'm side eyeing you. I think you're weird, but there are enough of them too to where there's a third tier of acceptable pronunciation. Uh huh. If we call them fucking think crowns, crown. <laughs> yeah, you're a little John Madden kid or whatever. <laughs> cool. Uh, I, you are right. It, it it came about in the 1920s, which is before they had nukes. But it's Put it's just interesting another how another point on the board. <laughs> Me one, Anders probably a billion. I just never really thought about it. I guess because I you it's it's interesting how it came into more popular use at the advent of like the nuclear era, well, which I, mean, I yeah, feel like is in the 50s. We were trying to like create a fucking permanent way of being right so we you know we're like the nuclear family yeah that's what's gonna be you know the end of history or whatever here right um but where was i going it's confusing (laughs) uh but yeah that must have been bizarre to have that uh to grow up you know, and, and I, you know, there are people with the moon landing too who just didn't Watching believe. Watching <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> I need when you your ADD is uh, as strong as mine. <coughs> I just looked. I leaned over and it's be it was behind my laptop screen the whole time. I just saw I just turned it on. It has his phone out like a. You ever there's like men you see at restaurants who are like frantically watching games they're gambling on uh-huh. under the phone like while they're at dinner with their family. That's what Andrews is doing right now. I am gambling on this <laughs> game. Yes, football game. <laughs> I have five dollars on this game. Hey man, I wouldn't even notice because you're nailing this. I, I mean, I just put it. I just put it on. Uh, so we'll see how the rest goes. But all right, well, I hope um, you win. <laughs> But uh, there's a, this interesting article. There's a psychiatrist, Robert J. Lifton, who coined the term psychic numbing to try to capture the human brain's inability to gr- grasp catastrophe on a massive scale. One death matters greatly, but faced with 100,000 deaths, our brains just shut down. Totally. Um, and psycholo- psychologists in the 80s documented psychic numbing in the American public around nuclear war. Um there's a Dr. Thomas Ware who labeled the failure to have an appropriate fear of country crushing weapons as nuclear denial disorder. So it's this kind of uh, double edged sword where it's not healthy to be worrying about nuclear war all the time. But it's also kind of not healthy to not be worrying about nuclear war all the time. Yeah. Because it's a very real risk that we just can't conceive of i mean we can in sort of a whimsical way i would say in a whimsical way yeah that's every time i think about nuclear war i think about oh that'd be every i mean the world would be whimsical if we were blown into skeleton parts that were radiating yeah i mean i just remember yeah growing up and i lived in dc area till i was 12 and that was just like after 9-11 um i was there for a year or two and it was just beat into us that like the next one's coming it's around the corner dude and the next time they're not going to be going for a government building they're going to be going for like an ice skating rink or like <laughs> yeah well, everyone thought Memphis like Pyramid. yo the mall i hang out at is next yeah <laughs> but that 
could actually be a thing. Like maybe we should think of it that way. Yeah. Because that people aren't concerned enough about this. Um, like we had in 1954, um, there's a plan drawn up by Bombs Away LeMay, you know, Curtis LeMay, the psychopath who uh, was like very gung ho on going into Cuba, guns blazing, and also um, hated Kennedy and like is, I think, the model for George C. Scott's character in uh, Dr. Strangelove. Ooh. But he had this plan for using 750 nuclear warheads against the Soviet Union preemptively, um, which would kill up to 100 million people, um, which sounds like, you know, that that must be something they would take seriously. And, you know, maybe since then they've tried to scale this back and be a little more reasonable about it. But it's the same thing now. that In 2019, uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff have, a, have a, had a similar estimate um, so whatever happened all that like uh, that weird shit they were rolling out that I think we covered where the, they kept rolling out like pieces that were like a kinder gentler nuclear bomb maybe the way mm. to resolve Russia and Ukraine I think that's my guess would be that's just marketing because uh, yeah. they're using quote unquote precision weapons already um, it's like a cartoon of a bomb it's friendly yeah. hello kids it's your friend Bommy right I love you, Bobby. I mean, there's two two ways, I think, to end a war, and that's either diplomacy, negotiations, or those Brits say negotiations. Negotiations. Uh, which we should start, but and then the other way is just escalating civilian casualties, because that's the one thing, I think, politically, that like will force somebody's hand, is like if enough of your people are dying, you just kind of have to give up and you know it's it's just like looking back at world war ii there's so much shit that like was justified at the time as like we're fighting this great evil mm-hmm. and we had to do it like uh the nuking hiroshima and nagasaki uh but if you read the the literature like we didn't actually have to do that we didn't even have to bomb the shit out of uh germany Frankly, I mean, there were Nazis, but um, at the time, the rationale was like, well, this will cause the crowds to rise up against Hitler and uh, denazify. And actually, getting bombed doesn't really have that effect. No, you don't it, rise up at all. You're yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, think yeah. fucking World War II is one of those things that like uh, people are taught in school and stuff and it's like so present in our culture and the zeitgeist and stuff like that that but it's really hard to understand that in order to understand it you need to go through it like with a fine-tooth comb via like a historiography or something because Mm -hmm. what you're actually thinking about when you think about it is the story that got told after the fact about like you know we bombed fucking Nagasaki or Hiroshima and then wrote PR and went Here's why that was supposed to happen, but like it's impossible to ever know whether that was like a, you know, a thing that needed to happen or not. Right? Very it, arguably wasn't. Yeah, and Truman's uh, version of events kept changing. Like his rationale for it kept changing with like the number of people he said that we that he saved by dropping the nuke. He was like, well, that was greater 
than paraphrasing, but like that was greater than the amount of people we killed was all these potential lives we would have saved. It was greater by, at first he said like 100,000 and then over the course of his ex-presidency and the rest of his life, it went up. He was like, oh yeah, we, we saved 2 million people by dropping those bombs and then a few years later yeah we saved three million your friend after you either did or didn't get into a bar fight just rationalizing yeah forever (laughs) you know why there were 300 of those guys in that fucking pluckers wing bar dude Uh like i had to stop it you know yeah or we couldn't or whatever just what a fucking tool who like i I mean it's it's interesting because he is kind of the the common man, if you will, who was thrust into the presidency uh, and really did not shape history in the way that uh, great men are are supposed to do. He kind of went along with the uh, social and political pressures uh, that were foisted upon him. And I think like anybody else in that position ended up having qualms like he had you know, probably psychological rumination about the the nukes. I mean, we don't know too much about that, but we do know he had some serious uh, misgivings about the CIA and what it had grown into and even wrote uh, an op-ed after the JFK assassination. Uh, We talked about this with with, uh, Aaron. I don't want to repeat myself, but uh, there was a very interesting proposal made in the 80s by this academic named Roger Fisher, um, who proposed he's not again there's a guitarist with the same name it's a different guy uh, but he actually genuinely proposed this where uh, if we're going to have nuclear weapons if we're going to have nuclear codes the nuclear code should be put in a little capsule that's surgically implanted into uh, one of the president's aides their heart so <laughs> if the president wants to launch a nuke, this aide, this guy, this person is going to carry a sharp knife. Holy shit. And the president should have to personally stab gonna... and take out the codes. <laughs> Dennis, you've, uh, you've been a fine employee. I want to thank you for your service. <laughs> now I'm going to rip out your heart. <laughs> Eat it. Like, Eating it's not necessary, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Mogwai style. Yeah. I mean, is that going to be a lifelong job for that person? Like, imagine having that job. Like, do they switch off? Do they get to retire at some point? Or is it just you have to spend the rest of your life, no matter who the president is? You're just there. You don't have anything, any other job, really. You're just there to hang out and wait a minute. potentially die. You don't have to do anything else? Yeah. Pretty good salary? Yeah. the president. That actually sounds like a pretty good gig. Right. Your job would just be charming the president of the United States and just making it so... trying to convince so, him not to rip your heart out. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the response to this was like, oh, well, there's no way the president could ask, act rationally in this situation. <laughs> which is like, yeah, with or without this person, that's that's also true. Or it should be true. Um, and this, that's that goes to the thing about, you know, one death is a tragedy, 100,000 is a, a footnote. Mr. Lee... I'm afraid I'm going to have to eat you bones and all. <laughs> <laughs> it just rips into your rib cage. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, where are we at? <laughs> I, I have one thing I wanted to talk about before okay. we get out of here. Um, speaking of uh, 
how do I segue here? Um, speaking of, whew, how do I go from nuclear war to Crystalia? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's the obvious bombs. I don't know how often he bombs because it's probably his own people uh, who love him, regardless yeah. of his. People always say Are there like super fans of Chris D'Elia though? Because I remember. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you okay. kidding me? Every time, there, whenever there's guys like this in comedy, there are more people. Like, you have to understand you're in a relative bubble. Like, right. there are more people who, like, don't even know any of this shit about him. Or, like, oh, they heard about it and they're like, oh, but that was just people trying to cancel him, right? Right. Like, that's like 90% of audiences. Uh, you have to be kind of a comedy nerd and then a second-level comedy nerd past being a just, I'm a fan, mm-hmm. to being somebody who's, like, scrutinizing of comedy to even conceive of this stuff. Like, Louis C.K., too. I mean, I guess most of his audience at this point is, like, culture war dorks who are like, they're trying to cancel him. But, like, I've fucking sometimes on the road I've talked to people and they're just like, yeah, you like him? And I'm like, well, there's this thing. And they're like, I heard about that. Wasn't that them just trying to take him down or whatever? It's crazy. I'm sure he's still fucking selling out because this is like, uh, this is for a lot of the stuff people, for a lot of people, the stuff, yeah, it's like peripheral. Like we're just in comedy, right. you know? And it can also be like the best thing that happens to somebody's career is to be accused yeah. of something or have it revealed that you're. Right. It's the audience either remains unaware or like you do that and you mm-hmm. activate it and yeah. you go, I'm going to get my audience like from this or whatever. Right. Um, but I mean, he's still performing and selling out shows. Like I just saw him post a thing. Um, it's weird cause he's gone gray recently <laughs> from his hair from, from the stress. Like oh, in his, wow. In his beard, not his hair. Okay. But well. it's like in his beard. So he's like a Jordan Peterson beard now. And he, uh, yeah, he was talking about coming to New York and I, you know, one of the shows is sold out fucking sold out, dude. Um, you know, but it was weird because it looked like a threat almost. Like I'm coming to New York. Warning. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I uh, I should look up the name of this fucking person because somebody made a Crystalia documentary that I watched, and it is fucking jarring, man. Because basically, what happened is, you know, we all remember this shit that happened with him. Um. And like Snapchat and everything. Uh, but somehow, like, all he did after, you know, being exposed was like make a, like a statement one time with uh-huh. like his, you know, Instagram text box thing or whatever. And then seemingly just like not only continued what he was doing, but like, kind of stepped on the gas a little bit and uh i i don't like thinking about shit like this that much so i didn't really pay that much attention to begin with about what he was doing but uh long story short he's trying to start a cult (laughs) wow yeah it's really bizarre he fucking what is this is i've i've heard that uh jared leto was trying to do something similar or has successfully done this which is another thing it's like i don't know any jared leto fans like i know people who like his acting uh but there are like apparently especially with his morbius thing like people who are bought into the leto lifestyle 
Uh, yeah, I, I haven't really looked that much into that, but it seems all, I mean, I, I believe it. Jared Leto seems like a lunatic. Um, you know, the entertainment industry is like rife with people like this. Um, but, uh, and I saw them all wearing those white robes in a picture. Very scary. Uh, <laughs> fuck. It's called the Crystalia Problem. Let me see if I can fucking... I'm just trying to find the name of the comic. Who, Kyle Anderson. Okay. So this comic, Kyle Anderson made it um, in tandem with like a bunch of victims of Crystalia who, mm-hmm. you know, in the interview, they go into detail about like what he did and stuff and uh, how I guess he has this thing. <laughs> he has like a channel or something that was called like the Crystalia Cult and. He's recently changed it since this documentary came out to like the Crystalia group or whatever because oh, I think legal to, pressure, maybe legal or maybe it almost seems like a lot of these people that's like psychological, like he himself, you know, probably was imagining it as it was like a joke mm-hmm. or a bit or something, and then you know being of split mind about it, <coughs> and then. Maybe I'm speculating here, but like maybe started to realize like, oh, this is like actually going to be scrutinized real hard. Um, but like, I guess he would do this thing on these like nine million hour podcasts that comedians of that level do, where they're just like streaming and shit and talking to like their group of you know mega fans. Where he would refer to going to towns, going from town to town, and he would refer to like all of the young like underage women he was trying to fuck as babies what? he would go like yeah no there's like babies in every town and we're gonna get them and take the babies and then they're gonna be in the cult wait and you said this is a f- facebook group or i uh, where did he posts it in some sort of i uh chat? i didn't fucking prep too hard for this because uh it's gross but i I'll, I'll i'll look it up at some point uh, on or after today's show but like it's a, uh, I don't know, it's one of the many things you have. I don't know, it was like a Facebook group or a okay. Discord or something. Just some communication. page he had, yeah. he changed the name of uh, it from cult to, to you know, Crystalia and Friends or whatever. And I saw somebody pointed out because they were saying, like, this is the only indication that he definitely saw that documentary and has reacted in Ooh. any way. Um, I don't know. It's It's interesting because, like, this guy made this documentary. Uh, he seems like a fine comic. He seems like he made a point to try not to capitalize on it. Uh, I'm looking at Twitter right now, and I just saw a very funny Micah Fox joke, though, about how he does do some pretty bad jokes in the documentary. Uh, whatever. <laughs> on uh, Not that important. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... He what was another thing about him. He's like sober. He's one of those guys that uh-huh. says like, oh, I don't uh, drink or smoke weed. My vice is women. Right. Yeah. And it's like, like it's such a weird. <laughs> yeah. I think they mean sex. You're, you know, you, you have a sex addiction. It's such a weird phrase to be addicted to women. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think he's called them women when he said that either. Right. You know. <laughs> Babies. <laughs> Yeah, I already called them fucking babies, which is weird. Um, 
what else about this? I don't know. I just thought I'd bring it up because the, the documentary is very disturbing and interesting. But, like, yeah, I guess he's still married to his wife, and he said that he went to, like, counseling or whatever, but is just very much, like, actively still going from town to town, trying to court underage women to come backstage with him. And then, like, he does stuff like, like, he doesn't drink, uh-huh. but he'll, like, get young women and then be like come up with me to the hotel room i've got two bottles of liquor that's one for each of you or whatever which is really sus another thing that happened is also like a long time somebody who worked in his crew like i can't remember what the guy's job was he was like a producer or a stage manager or something uh he's in the documentary and he's like i didn't want to believe it at first but like you know eventually uh, yeah you know heard enough of these stories and stuff uh it's pretty damning. Like the guy is like, yeah, I was there. Like uh-huh. I saw like women coming out of his gr- green room, like crying and shit. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't know what the point of bringing this up is. I just thought it was kind of uh, relevant and should be sort of uh, talked about. And you know, because uh, it's so odd because it's happening in like broad daylight. Right. I mean, yeah, like, he's he's acknowledged it. It and uh, it it appears. Does it? Can I ask? Does it appear from this documentary that it, this is still happening? No, that's like the whole point of the okay, documentary. Yeah, is yeah. that like all he did was just do like a oops, I'm working on myself, and then like not only continue but like kind of like increase the level of like weird exploitation he's doing. Mm, and I, it God. seems like the cult thing is like part of his fantasy, I guess. So he's like, oh my goodness, going around. You know, show to show, trying to get young girls to come into his green rooms and stuff, and then he's joking about it in this like cult sense. But when he gets into these relationships with the women in like the documentary, they talk about how he's like one of those guys who then they have these Keith Raniere style like text exchanges right. where he's like telling them you can't leave the house and all this weird shit, and you can't do this and that, and like you are a slave, you are a part of my cult now or whatever. Yeah. <sighs> That's sold fun. out show, man. Next week. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that's it's bad either way. If it's, uh, I guess, <laughs> like the nuclear thing. Like, is it on their mind? Do they are they aware of this? And which is worse? If the if the audience doesn't know, doesn't care, or knows and is invested in it. Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean. Uh, you, bias is like a really powerful thing especially when you're dealing with like in comedy you have you know you are the product you're selling yourself as a charismatic figure Mm -hmm. so like i think it's really really hard to flip someone who's already bought in because they're Mm. purchasing you as a commodity for entertainment to like venerate to worship you know Mm -hmm. it's fun and people that like fucking try to take a Howard Stern fan and convince them not to be one. It just you won't happen. That's right. that's religion now, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it becomes a situation where people like have heavy, heavy confirmation bias and want to rewrite all of reality to get back to confirming like the thing that makes them feel good. Which right. is you know, if you're a fan of this guy, if you're a fucking comedy store head. And on your commute to and from work, you do nothing but listen to, you know, Rogan and Joey Diaz and all these fucking guys. And they're all part of the same little ecosystem. Uh, he's one of them in there. And like in order for if 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 he's not a good guy, then the whole fucking thing comes apart, mm-hmm. you know. So like 
I think it's like what's so interesting about this is, but it's like if you look at it from an objective point of view, it's glaringly obvious that there's like a borderline like serial creep like uh, monster just working freely and like wandering around in our industry and scene, you know, but that stuff is so powerful that it's keeping it that in tandem with all like the, the industry's side stuff where like no one wants to stick their neck out and say anything about it. Right. I don't know. I know. uh, Also, there's a comic Alice Hamilton, who I believe has a half hour special about, I think it was it Crystal is a sex offender or something like that. Yeah, yeah, she was like involved in this. I think. Well, we'll check that out. Um, and yeah, don't go to any. I know we have at least half of our fans were listening to this. We're about to go to a Crystalia show, so please stop. I know you're out the door. Yeah, actually, fuck. Okay, this is Alice Hamilton. Uh, Alice Hamilton that tweeted Crystalia's only acknowledgement of the documentary about him changing his YouTube channel is his cha- changing his YouTube channel name from. Super cult to super good. That's what it was. So it was a YouTube channel and they had a chat where he was talking about picking up babies. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those things. It's like uh, hiding in plain sight. Or right. Whatever. Like it was a it. The cult thing is a joke that uh-huh. he uses, I guess, in his like whole oeuvre, like in his YouTube streams and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, but then also, if you watch his documentary, the things that he's like privately threatening these women with are like in the same language like you are in my cult so mm. creepy right you know absolutely yeah um i don't know i don't know uh everyone run for your life if you see Kristen. <laughs> that's all that's the whole reason i wanted to bring that up i think we're probably good unless you got anything else you want to talk about today uh i think that's it yeah uh oh fuck i <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's too petty. Okay. <clears throat> I was going to do another comedy hit piece. <laughs> I might as well. You know, Chrissy Bayer, the compound media lady. Oh, yeah. J tw- uh, or J6. Uh-huh. She fucking, I guess she's in town this week, and she tweeted, she's doing uh, two shows at the Grizzly Pear. Oh, what a fun venue. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, if you know anything about doing stand-up in New York and in Manhattan, that's just an open mic. You're right. just doing a it's bringer or an it's, open mic. It's like a block away from the cellar. And so if you can't get into the cellar, you go to the Grizzly Pair if you're an audience member. And the, the vibes are much different. Everything's worse. I mean, it's like the, yeah, the bargain bin like yeah. of another comedy club um but she tweeted that she's in town and that she's doing comedy there or whatever and how did she put it uh said first 200 illegal migrants to show up get in free with proof of employment which is so disgusting and just openly like racist uh but also it's like infuriating to me because i'm like if someone shows up and they have proof of employment, they're more employed than like you. Yeah. You're doing an open mic. It's yeah. not a real t- It's not a real fucking show. I don't really. think there's ever been 200 people in the Grizzly Pair. Right. <laughs> uh yeah, right. It's like there's so many things wrong with it, right? No one's showing up. Uh also, I think they let you in for free at places like that. 
I don't know if they, they fucking should. charge a cover or whatever, <laughs> but uh, just insane. I don't know. Fuck. Ugh, comedy. I don't know. I just wanted to start off the year um, with some of that because, you know, I hate chud comedians in the industry and I want to burn this whole thing down. Yeah. Christy Mayer, I remember her saying, tweeting, that the thing people don't understand about MAGA is it's actually about love. <laughs> Yeah, they all say that shit. Well, that's that's what I was saying, though. I mean, that's if you're on one side of the fence, that's community to you. Right. You know, yeah, that's your union hall. It's your church. It's where you. It's your third place. You know, you hate to see it. Yeah, hate to see it. But they love, they love being there. Yeah, and it's hard to pry them away. Um, all right. Uh, I'm having another party. This is another pre-party podcast, so let's get the fuck out of here. I'm going to play um, Mario Party on the projector in my oh, living nice. room tonight. It's going to be buck wild. Hell yeah. Uh, I should, I'm going to plug our, our Patreon. Um, we have these uh, fun episodes, riff tracks, but we also do uh, some some vegetables as well, and we got a really interesting interview uh, with the author of a new book about Rikers Island, um, Jared, uh, whose last name I'm fucking forgetting because I'm an <laughs> idiot. J- Jared Shanahan. Thank you, Andy. Holy shit. Uh, so check that out on uh, behind the Patreon. Uh, and you can follow me at Anders Lee here on Twitter. Thank you, Andy, who's operating like the, th- the third person in a podcast studio. <laughs> Look that up, Andy. Um. <laughs> all right, plugs. I am. Uh, fuck. I'm off the road. I have some shows coming up. I'll put them on my pinned tweet because uh, I think I'm gonna do this show. Uh, that's gonna be like a benefit for Kristen Gonzalez. Am I right about that? She has been elected. Right. What the fuck? She's gonna she speak at it or something. <laughs> Uh, okay, you know what? Listen, folks, we're unprepared this week. Deal with it. February 25th. Uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, I think February also might have another show or two same week because uh, I think my karaoke show is coming together. I don't know. Keep an eye out for all that shit. Listen to my other show, Why You Mad. Sign up for a Patreon, Discord, all that shit. Uh, buy merch. Um, I don't know just thank you don't please never leave all right it's finished it's finished we love